Part 5 of The Blue Review, Volume 1, Number 2, edited by John Middleton Murray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Anger and Dismay, a footnote on the writings of H. G. Wells, by J. D. Beresford. Mr. William Watson believes in Dickens, but not in the future of the novel. He has credited the former and discredited the latter, quite explicitly in that new collection of his, The Muse in Exile. Dickens is presented as a fighter, and the nature of his belligerency is formulated in the couplet, He did not fight to rend the world apart, he fought to make it one in mind and heart. I suppose the same thing might be said, by himself at least, of any propagandist whose temperament was too mild to face the alternative of the sword, we see the magnificent excuse of the church militant, that description which was once so perfectly justified, but has no application to the incredibly padded gloves of the modern ring. The truth is that Mr. Watson's statement is absurd, a mere sentimental trifling with ideas. If I fight my enemy, I have one of two objects in view. Either I desire to silence any further expression of his for ever, or... I desire to convince him that I am the better man, and that he had better not contradict me in future. I am not fool enough to suppose, however, that my thrashing of him will make him one with me in mind and heart. I know perfectly well that his object was the same as mine, and that if I had been beaten, I might have knuckled under, but I should not have adopted his accursed heresy in the secret places of my mind." The whole fallacy arises from the sentimentalization of the word fight. Dickens was no fighter himself, and he could not portray the fighter. His ideal was the sweet-tempered, flappy propagandist, whose weapon was the model of his own virtuous life. Dickens's only notion of a hypocrite was of one who covered a secret vice by a profession of virtue and humility. When he attempted to draw a real fighter, he always assumed that the person was mad. Let us descend for a moment to a consideration of that maligned and temperamental woman, Mr. F.'s aunt. I confess with joy that I share her contempt for the precocious, do-by-little-best spirit of Clennam. I too hate a fool, and envy that wonderful old lady's honesty in openly proclaiming the fact to the fool himself. I have often wondered whether Dickens had not once been confronted by the original of Mr. F. Sant, pelted perhaps, I sincerely hope so, with hard and well-aimed crusts of toast. I can imagine how he would have resented the bold expression and the militant act, he who was so entirely incapable of running amuck. Virtue, not aggression, was his specific, and his ideal of virtue was mid-Victorian, tainted with Samuelism. Was he not, after all, a smiles of genius? It is an amazing thought that all the great mid-Victorian figures in poetry and fiction were born during that extraordinary period of revolt which lasted from 1780 to 1830, and that they lived through the wonderful year of 1848 without learning a single lesson. Is it that we may perceive here some formulation of the law of reaction? of the great and increasing beat of the pendulum, with its long swing from century to century. 
whatever the cosmic rule which shall account for the alternation i turn with relief to the contemplation of the real fighting spirit i was born to witness the opening movement of the diastole and i have been so far affected by the impetus of my own times that no philosophic reflection will allay the irritation i feel when i consider the ideal of placid acceptance of resignation of plenitudinous satisfaction it all appears so stagnant so circumscribed involuted in fold after fold of snug complacency nevertheless in my youth my revolutionary spirit found little material to work upon i was the son of middle-aged parents i was hedged about by the old conventions and i had not the wit or the originality to find a ladder or to tear a hole in the fence the escalade indeed was not rapid when it came at last my ladder had many rungs and to come after so long an introduction to the particulars of my present purpose i willingly acknowledge that more than one rung was made negotiable for me by the writings of mr h g wells the first of his books which nudged my attention was the wheels of chance from one point of view it has little bearing on the subject of this paper it is touched by the smiles tradition hoop-driver's potentialities are those of the old disciple the best we can expect from him is application to study he is an indeterminate dreamer with no capacity for iconoclasm the same thing may be said of his expansion arthur kipps both are studies of that undeveloped man who once appeared to their creator as himself himself at sixteen or so we find a little passion in these two quite lovable little men but it is only a weak explosion of hesitating temper with the invisible man however we have a clear sight of the true berserker griffin comes before us a complete antithesis of the kipps type the union is a later development griffin is a selfish anarchist wrapped in that cloak of invisibility which was to serve him he hoped so much better than the wolf shape of the norse legends he is bent on self-aggrandisement as he develops the lust of killing grows upon him he is one against humanity and he dies fighting the world his hands clenched his eyes wide open and his expression one of anger and dismay and always as i read that last wonderful account of his career i forgive him for his obsession with self for his pig-headedness and his ultimate futility the form of him returns to visibility in my imagination as it returned to the sight of that little foolish crowd about him glowing with those two fundamental emotions anger and dismay the very elements of a man's revolt against imprisonment in the flesh these are transcendental things and they are for me in this connection the basis of study i take them naked and titanic as two essentials of the artist while i admit not without a faint regret that they are not the only essentials and that they represent but two aspects however well marked in my image of mr wells who by the way is quite unknown to me except from his works with the invisible man megalomaniac that he was anger took precedence and only defeat and death could bring dismay 
but when the berserker is transformed from beast to artist it is dismay which represents the generating emotion and it seems to me that it is of a type which is possible only to those who have the power of withdrawal from their surroundings this elemental dismay of which i speak now for instance is of a type quite other to that felt by the sentimental charles dickens his preoccupation with injustice of the squeers pattern had the peculiarly human quality which comes from intimacy with the world of men he battered a little feebly perhaps at the heart of humanity but always he kissed the god's feet mr wells has had the power to stand aside from these preoccupations and i quote a passage from the war of the worlds which has always appeared to me as certainly representative of phases of his own experience at times he writes i suffer from the strangest sense of detachment from myself and the world about me i seem to watch it all from the outside from somewhere inconceivably remote out of time out of space out of the stress and tragedy of it all the penalty imposed for the ecstasies of this abstraction is a return to dismay and thence to anger partly maybe at the cursed spite which has saddled him with the recognition the world of those far imaginings is such a fine place that the immediate presentation of the world as it appears strikes the dreamer as a fierce impossible horror he sees all too clearly that he is imprisoned and if he were of the primitive berserker type he would end in red rage amuck among the unspeakable futilities of our present life but the artist is confined by the necessities of his temperament he is conscious before all of the urge to create rather than to destroy in brief moments of madness he may flap his hands wildly and cry out oh let us do something for heaven's sake do something to alter all this but presently the old command will compel him once more and he will settle down with little spurts of passion and impatience either to create a picture of the thing he desires or to display his own vision of the repulsive thing which the mass of mankind accepts as the best of all possible worlds it is these spurts of passion and impatience symptoms of the transcendental dismay and anger of the spirit that have evoked this tentative analysis i find them mirrored in the persons of mr wells's stories in lewisham's attack upon the sheep-faced parkson in graham the sleeper when he is in the silent rooms in the time traveller when he raved to and fro screaming and crying upon god and fate in bedford another berserker blindly killing the selamites in capes smashing glass in his preparation room in george penderevo and remington though somewhat more restrained in other characters too numerous to instance and finally with a growing difference in trafford i have picked out my examples haphazard as they have occurred to me but i believe that there is hardly a novel or a romance by mr wells in which the signs of this primitive anger cannot be discerned while i cannot recall to mark my early antithesis a single true instance of the same passion in all the novels of dickens the nearest approach to it is in the portrait of mr f s aunt i am laying stress on this contrast not because i wish in any way to belittle the genius of dickens for whose work i have a great admiration 
but because i wished to thrust a particular distinction into prominence it may seem that i have indicated the distinction as that between the fighting and the merely propagandist spirit but the thing goes deeper than this as i see it indeed it is a difference between two fundamental attitudes of mind between the spirits of acceptance and rejection between worshipping idealising the past and glorying in the possibilities of the future mr wells if my induction is a true one has little or no respect for the past his war is not against individuals but against conventions he comes out of the transcendental a bright unprejudiced spirit aghast at the dull prejudices of our civilization he sees our futility our indolence of mind our blind leaning upon tradition and it may be that his first impulse was to explain in a few clear sentences the mistakes under which we are labouring to make one definite statement so incredibly convincing that the world would at once recognise its stupidity that impulse indeed is the primitive urge of genius the remedy proposed is of less importance than the great desire to reconstruct it was in this that nietzsche was magnificent while his disciples including strindberg have failed in as far as they have adopted only the critical premises and neglected the constructive deduction but neither mr wells nor any other prophet however inspired can build until he has persuaded mankind to clear the sight and in the present case i see a life-work devoted to that magnificent task his methods may be divided broadly into two categories criticism of the present building and an exhibition of the new elevations the first category must be subdivided under one head falls all that is merely analysis of existing conditions all that critical attack which admits the stereotyped response have you anything better to offer under the other with which alone i propose to deal our civilization is shown by romantic means to be ephemeral the assault is shifted from the convention to the individual the endeavour represents the attempt to persuade complacent bigoted unthinking man that his civilization is impermanent to lift him momentarily from his contemplation of his surroundings and give him wider vision many of mr wells's romances fulfil this purpose as i think of that list of books i remember first how they gave me the delight of living in a changed world and secondly how they led me to understand that all life as i knew it was open to criticism that it was a phase in evolution and not as i had once believed essential ordained and static those books i may instance more particularly the food of the gods the war of the worlds the first men in the moon the war in the air and certain shorter stories lifted me from my contemplation of my immediate surroundings while i read i gloried in the freedom of moving in new worlds this uplifting was due to my author's gift of presentation and if the effects produced had been no other than this i must have written down these romances as a failure if for instance if mr wells's romances had been of the same quality of those of jules verne to whom he has been so foolishly and purblindly compared i should have come back to earth unaltered 
I should have had the new experience of exploring air or water in an unknown machine, but I should have had no new sight of the world from the outside. In the case of the five books I have mentioned, the effect upon myself was permanent. I had been led to look down upon the whole machinery of civilization from outside. My habit of thought with regard to life was broken. If I did not believe in the possibility of, say, such a discovery as Heracleophobia for, I did very truly believe henceforward in the essential instability of society. It may be remarked that I have omitted the time machine and the sleeper awakes from my list. I have done so because these two books vary quite definitely in intention and method. They do not break, but develop. They are in no real sense constructive. The Sea Lady, the Island of Dr. Moreau, and the wonderful visit, I have omitted for other reasons. They are more nearly allegories of the older type, and while I do not fail to perceive the essential allegory of the food of the gods, the constructive intention of that work places it in the other category. If Mr. Wells had written only the first five romances mentioned in this interpolation, he might, with some slight show of reasonableness, have been likened to Jules Verne. I see that I have laid myself open to a charge of egotism in thus laying stress upon the effects which these books have had upon my own mind. But I have adopted the first person deliberately, because I have found that the majority of readers have read Mr. Wells' romances as they might have read those of the ordinary author, and so have come back to earth unchanged. And when I consider this amazing blindness and engrossment in personal affairs, I suffer a reflex of that primitive dismay and anger. I desire fiercely to expound, and am brought back to that realisation which led me to this long parenthetical explanation and examination of categories. For we are confronted with the extraordinary difficulty of opening men's eyes. I have touched briefly on the method of the first category, and the second I must dismiss briefly. This exhibition of the new plans is to be found in such books as The Days of the Comet and A Modern Utopia, but it appears to me that men will not seriously regard the new until they have become dissatisfied with the old, and that they turn from these pictures of a brighter future with the comment, very pretty no doubt, but we have to live in the world as it is. I see that this imaginary remark directly contradicts the spirit of that earlier reply I put into the mouth of mankind, namely, have you anything better to offer? But the contradiction is not mine. In my opinion, mankind as a whole is, as I have thus drawn it. I find both remarks perfectly characteristic of the same type. Both arise from a failure to look out, from the elementary inability to withdraw momentarily, from the immediate pressure of life. So I return, perhaps by a personal example, to a defence of that anger and dismay with which I began. I have heard these fine passions criticised, and I am up in arms to exalt them. I am willing to beg the question that they are effects and not causes. But I find that that assumption in no way weakens my championship for I know nothing of prime causes, and I believe that admission is implicit in all that I have written here, as I believe also 
that the unthinking adoption of a cut-and-dried cosmogony is responsible for much of the blindness which mr wells has so valiantly attempted to cure all that i have so feebly and curtly attempted to champion is the militant spirit that lies behind all that has been expressed by these various books combining so many methods of mr wells to me the purpose of them is not many but one i am conscious of man triumphant in thought battering not altogether vainly at the feet of the gods i see man regarding the limitations of the flesh with anger and dismay End of part five.